I have just had Christmas in heaven, a glorious, wonderful day. I stood with saints of the ages who found Christ the truth and the way. I sing with a heavenly choir, just think, I, who long so to sing. And oh, what celestial music we brought to our Savior and King. We sing the glad songs of redemption, how Jesus to Bethlehem came, and how they had called his name Jesus, that all might be saved through his name. We sing once again with the angels the song that they sang that blessed morn when shepherds first heard the glad story that Jesus, the Savior, was born. Oh, how I wish you had been here. No Christmas on earth could compare. With all the rapture and glory we witness in heaven so fair. You know how I always love Christmas. Seems such a wonderful day. With all of my loved ones around me, the children so happy and gay. Yes, now I can see why I loved it. And oh, what a joy it will be when you and my loved ones are with me to share in the glories I see. So dear ones on earth, here's my greeting. Look up till the day dawn appears. And oh, what a Christmas awaits us beyond all their pardon and tears. And I don't know where I can get through this next or not, but I'll try it. <clears throat> it happened one day at the year's white end, two neighbors called on an old-time friend. They found his shop so meager and mean, made gay with a thousand boughs of green. Conrad was sitting with face shine when he suddenly stopped as he stitched a twine and said, old friends, at dawn today when the cock was crowing the night away, the Lord appeared in a dream to me and said, I am coming, your guest to be. So I've been busy with feet of stir, strewing my shop with branches of fir. The table is spread and the kettle is shined and over the rafters the holly is twined. Now I will wait for my Lord to appear Listen closely, so I will hear. His steps as he nears my humble place, and open the door, and look in his face. So his friends went home and left Conrad alone, for this was the happiest day he had known. For long since his family had passed away, Conrad had spent a sad Christmas day. But he knew where the Lord is his Christmas guest. This Christmas would be the dearest and best. And he listened with only joy in his heart. And with every sound, he would rise with a start. Look for the Lord to be standing there in answer to his earnest prayer. So he ran to the window after hearing a sound. But all that he saw on the snow-covered ground was a shabby beggar whose clothes were torn. All of his whose shoes were torn and all of his clothes were ragged and worn. So Conrad was touched and went to the door, and he said, Your feet must be frozen and sore. I have some shoes in my shop for you and a coat that will keep you warmer too. So with grateful heart the man went away, but as Conrad noticed the time of day, he wondered what made the dear Lord so late, how much longer he'd have to wait. When he heard a knock and ran to the door, but he was only a stranger once more. 
I'd be an old crone with a shawl of black, bundle of faggots piled on her back. She asked for only a place to rest, but that was reserved for Conrad's great guest. But her voice seemed to plead, don't send me away. Let me rest for a while on Christmas Day. So Conrad brewed her a steaming cup and told her to sit at the table and sup. But after she left, he was filled with dismay, for he saw that the hours were passing away. And the Lord had not come as he said he would. Conrad felt sure he had misunderstood. When out of the stillness he heard a cry, Please help me and tell me, where am I? So again he opened his friendly door, stood disappointed as twice before. It was only a child who had wandered away and was lost from her family on Christmas Day. Again, Conrad's heart was heavy and sad, but he knew he should make this little child glad. So he called her in and wiped her tears and quieted all her childish fears. Then he led her back to her home once more. But as he entered his own darkened door, he knew that the Lord was not coming today for the hours of Christmas had passed away. So he went to his room and knelt down to pray. And he said, Dear Lord, why did you delay? What kept you from coming to call on me? For I wanted so much your face to see. And soft in the silence of voice he heard, Lift up your head, for I kept my word. Three times my shadow crossed your floor. Three times I came to your lonely door. For I was the beggar with the bruised cold feet. I was the woman you gave to eat. I was the child on the homeless street. And Matthew 25 said, As much as you've done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Let's open our Bible, please, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thy that are highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, I shall conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born to thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. 
For with God nothing shall be impossible. Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as I bow before you, I do thank you, Lord, for another privilege that you've given this side of eternity to preach your word. Lord, I realize without you I can do nothing. I present myself to you, O God. I pray for your cleansing. I pray for your power, for wisdom, O God. Give me physical strength in this body. God, help me to be a blessing, to be a help to those that have come this way. May we leave here loving you more. Greater desire to serve you. If there be one unsaved, I pray for their salvation. Oh, God, do a work in hearts today for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to talk to you about the meaning of Christmas and what Christmas really means. What does it mean to you? To many, Christmas means uh, gifts, presents, candy, friends, family, getting off work, whatever. But I trust we as believers in Christ that Christmas means more than these things to us. The first thing I like for us to notice is that it means God keeps his promises. Boy, I like that. God keeps his promises. In Genesis 3.15, it said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed, who is the Antichrist, he's talking to the devil here, and her seed, which is Christ. It shall bruise thy head, and thy shalt bruise his heel. And this was, is being literally fulfilled here in the scripture we read. In verse 27, the Bible said Gabriel was sent to a virgin, espoused to a man. Not a young woman, as the Revised Standard Version says, but a virgin. This was important, that Jesus be virgin born in order to fulfill this scripture her seed now we know that is scientifically impossible the seed is of the man but God is not making a mistake in the scripture some may have read that scripture and say well there must be a mistake some of our modern Bible revisers would have said oh that's wrong they, they've written that down wrong uh, we've got to change that. Uh, that can't be right because can't be her seed. That's impossible. And they'd change it. But it wasn't impossible, was it? As you said down in verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And so the fact that, uh, that it was her seed uh, is, a, is a prophecy of the virgin birth and that Jesus would be supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit. And we brought out, I think, last week the necessity of this, that uh, uh, in order not to inherit the sin nature, all the blood in your body come from your father. And the mother's blood carries nourishment to the baby's blood, but does not intermingle and mix with the baby's blood. And so the fact that Jesus Christ did not have an earthly father, therefore he did not inherit the sin nature that you and I have and the curse thereby. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7, 14 said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and 
bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, uh, which means God with us. And prophet Isaiah had prophesied that it would be a divine conception. And Mary here in, in verse, 30, uh, or verse uh, 34 and 35 questions this fact. How can this be? Seeing I know not a man. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And uh, her, uh, she didn't understand. You're going to have a baby. That cannot happen. I'm, me, uh, Joseph and myself, we're, we're uh, betrothed. We're engaged, as we would think of it, except it was more than an engagement now. Legally bound together. But we have not uh, came together as man and wife. How can this be? And the angel lets her know that this would be a supernatural conception. This would not be the normal, the normal way a child is conceived, but it would be a supernatural act of God uh, that would be fulfilled. Then the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 9 and verse 7 uh, lets us know that uh, he would come uh, through the house of David. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And in verse 32 and 33 we have the fulfillment of that. He shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now that's not been fulfilled, but it will be fulfilled, literally fulfilled, and uh, that Christ will have a throne and will fulfill that scripture. Then Isaiah 9 and verse 6, we preached last Sunday night on this in Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There you have the two comings of the Lord. Notice the child is born and the son is given. The son is not born because he was the son of God before he came into the world. Before he came to Bethlehem, he was the son of God, the eternal God. And so is the child is born. That's his first coming. The son is given. That's his second coming. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and that will be fulfilled. His name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And again, we have this fulfilled, the promise of the fulfillment in verse 31 and 32. says, you will bring forth a son and call his name Jesus, which means Savior. Then Micah 5 and verse 2 tells us of his birthplace. But thy Bethlehem Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And in chapter 2, you find that, uh, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now this was unusual. The Bible says here that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus 
By the way, Caesar is a title. That's not his name. Augustus is his name. Uh, Caesar is like you'd say President Clinton. A president is not a part of his name. And so Caesar was a title that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. But this only happened, according to history, this only happened in Palestine. That it did not happen anywhere else in the Roman Empire. Now why is that? Well, God had a prophecy to fulfill. God moved on their heart that they would go back to the place of their lineage for the taxation. And the problem was that Mary was expecting a child. She was great with child. It was soon the child would be born. And to make this trip was quite a journey. And normally, you see, they lived in Nazareth. And normally, the baby would have been born in Nazareth especially since it's soon the child will be born. The time is almost up. And uh, they live in Nazareth and the idea of having to take a trip, but they had no choice and it was necessary. But furthermore, and by the way, nothing could have happened to Mary. You know, the normal, the normal pictures and all and the normal stories that she wrote on the donkey. Now, where she did or not, she may or may not have. They were, they were very poor people. They may not have had a donkey. She may have had to walk the entire way. But regardless of that, it was impossible for anything bad to happen in the birth of this child. That could not happen. The child had to be born, and Mary was going to be all right. No problem whatsoever. But she had to take this trip, which was quite trying, I'm sure, on her. And the baby was born in Bethlehem. Now, this was necessary for fulfillment of Scripture. You see, God worked in that situation, worked even, even in a, a heathen Caesar's heart to allow this and, and to work all this out to fulfill the Scripture. You know, this gives me a great deal of encouragement that God always keeps His promises. You know, I mean, you can believe the Bible. You say, well, look at the circumstances. I don't have anything to do with it. I mean, God keeps His promises. And He'll move heaven and earth to fulfill His promises. The Bible says in Romans 4.21, what He had promised, He was able to perform. God is able to keep His promises. Sometimes we make a promise and we are not able to keep it. We may get sick. We may die. Uh, we may have an accident. There's a lot of things could happen to keep us from keeping the promise. Sometimes we may not want to keep a promise, and that's bad. But God is able to keep His promises. The Bible teaches He's able to do it. And then the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 23, He's faithful to promise. He's faithful. You can count on it. If God says it, He'll do it. Sometimes we may say something we, it may be humanly impossible for us to keep that promise. But when God promises something, He keeps it. 1 John 2.25, this is the promise that He hath promised us even eternal life. Aren't you glad God keeps His promises? <laughs> I mean, He promised me eternal life. He promised it a long time ago. You think God may have changed His mind? You think God may have, have diminished any of His power? 
You think there's any chance that God won't keep his promise? None whatsoever. I'm just as sure of heaven as, of all, as I was already there. Some people don't, you know, they don't believe, they don't believe that. But, uh, you know, if you're saved, if you're saved where you believe it or not, you are secure. And you're going to make it. And it's not going to be through your efforts. It's going to be by God's effort. He keeps his promises. He promised us eternal life. I have eternal life. I'm not going to get eternal life. I've already got it. According to the Bible, John 5, 24 said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life shall not come into condemnation, but is passed and death unto life. Hath or has everlasting life. What tense is that? Is that past, present, or future? Present tense, right? That means I have it now. Not something I'm going to get, something I've got. And then he said it shall not come into condemnation. He says we have everlasting life and there's not any possibility. There's no possibility of going to hell. None. That's wonderful. That don't make me want to go get drunk. People say, why, uh, you know, why don't you go get drunk? Why? <laughs> Who wants to get drunk? I don't want to get drunk. Now, I don't go out, you know, the reason I don't get drunk is not because I'm afraid I go to hell of the dead. I don't get drunk because I don't want to get drunk. <laughs> you know, I don't have any desire to get drunk. God give me, God give me a new life. New desire, see. But my life, my salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. He promised us everlasting life. He promised it. And God keeps his promises. And we have that demonstrated in the birth of Jesus Christ. In 1 Kings 8, 56, the Bible said, There hath not failed one word of all his good promise. <laughs> not even one word. Heaven and earth will pass away, the Lord said, but my word will not pass away. And he said, not even a jot or a tittle will fail until it's all fulfilled. You can not only believe the promises of God, you can believe every word. <laughs> you can believe every word of the Bible. Every word of it is true. God keeps his promises. Then, second of all, what does Christmas really mean? It means a Savior was born. A Savior. They said, uh, the angel announced to the to the uh, shepherds in Luke 2 and verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior. How important is this? You think if we didn't have a Savior. How important is the birth of Christ? How important is the coming of Christ? What if he had not come? Then where would we be? What kind of message of hope would I have to give? None. And we'd face this time of the year with absolutely no hope and nothing to look forward to but in eternity away from God in hell forever. I'm glad that a Savior was born in Matthew 1, 21. 
She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And we find in the story here in his birth many things that demonstrated that. In verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now we read that and we think of the story of the, of the birth of Christ and we feel some sadness about it. And we think of the Son of God, of the Creator of the earth, having to be born in a stable. No room in the inn. But my dear friends, today that was all on purpose. God meant for it to be that way. God ordained that He come the way He was come. The Bible says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. And so it was ordained of God that the end be filled. It was ordained of God that He be born in a, in a stable. You say, why is that? Because all through the Old Testament, they offered the lambs a sacrifice. And where are lambs? In a stable, not in an inn, right? All that pointed, all that pointed to the coming of the Messiah. And God was wanting to give them the spiritual lesson. He allowed him to be born in the stable so those Old Testament people could identify with him. Then the Bible says, that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now Jesus Christ didn't have a little baby blanket to put around him and a little, you know, little baby clothes to put on him. You know what the swaddling clothes were? They were really grave clothes. They were strips of cloth about three or four inches wide that they used when they buried the dead. You remember when... Uh, uh, when Lazarus died and then when uh, they, they said uh, he was bound hand and foot with great clothes, it was the same thing as this right here, the swallowing clothes, the same thing. And Jesus, the Bible said, they put about a hundred pounds of spices when he died. They would wrap a layer of cloth and a layer of spices and a layer of cloth and a layer of spices and it had a somewhat of a preserving effect upon the body, although the body of Christ saw no corruption. You remember what they said about Lazarus? By this time he stinketh even with that. Uh, there was uh, corruption and decay. So when Jesus was born, they wrapped him in these grave clothes. And notice on down in, as the angel announces to the shepherds, verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. What was the sign? You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now that was a sign. In other words, that was unusual. That was a testimony to those shepherds of who this child was. This is the Savior, the angel said. And this will be a sign to you so you'll know it's the Savior. You'll find the baby wrapped in grave clothes because this child to be a savior he'll have to die 
from man's sin. And he will be in a manger, identifying him again with the sacrifice that they pointed to. And then the shepherds come. Notice there were in the same country, country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The angel didn't go to Herod's palace, did he? He didn't go to uh, the religious crowd who were just pretenders and announced to the rabbis and announced to the Sanhedrin, the Messiah is in Bethlehem, the Son of God, the Savior is in Bethlehem. You know where he goes? He goes out in the field to some shepherds. What do shepherds do? Shepherds watch after sheep. And they identified with Jesus Christ more than any other. They identified with the Old Testament sacrifice. You know, there's something else also. You know, one thing I think that's, uh, that's kind of uh, robbed us of air. They had the livestock to look after. They had to take care of the horses and the mules or the cattle and the, the hogs and, and all that sort of thing. And they were out there in the field planting the crops. And, and uh, you know, there's something about God's creation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that, that testifies to the Lord. I think there was a reliance upon God and a closeness to God that we've lost in our day as we've moved away from that type of environment. And uh, most people work in the factories and all, and not that you can't have a close relationship with God and do that. But I think, I think a lot of it has contributed. You know, people moving to the cities and the close city life has kind of gotten us away from that closeness of God. And here these shepherds were out in the field at night, and there's something about being out there at night, and I cannot look up for the stars without that there's a testimony to my heart that there's a God in heaven. There's something just, you know, I just every time I look up at the sky at night and you can see the stars, there's something that speaks to my heart about God. And so these shepherds are out there and this great and unusual and marvelous event takes place as the angel as the angel appears to them and announces the birth of the Savior. And all of this, of course, pointed and foretold his death. A Savior was born in Luke 19.10. He said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came. He came seeking us. He came to save us. That was his purpose. That's what Christmas is all about. A Savior was born. And then thirdly, what does Christmas really mean? It means there's hope for the future. Thank God for that. I mean, there's hope. Look at us. We're getting older. Come January, I'll be a half a century old. Man, I'm getting old. I guess I'll be a senior citizen. <clears throat> I don't know how old you have to be. Someone, some, I can't think it just depends. Someone say you had to be 62 or uh, whatever. 
Looks like I'm going to join the ranks. But you know, we're getting older, aren't we? All of us. And we're headed to the graveyard unless Jesus comes. That's where we're And that's not a pleasant thought. I don't want to die. I want to go in the rapture. Brother Dave is talking about going in the rapture. That's, that's it. That's been the hope of every generation is to, is to, to, go, to go by way of the air and not, not have to go through death. Not that there's anything about death itself that, that is anything to be afraid of. It's just a dying. <laughs> you know, is cancer going to get me? Is heart disease going to get me? Or is some other disease? What's, what's going to do it? And how long am I going to have to be sick? And how long am I going to have to suffer? Uh, those are the things that are, that are unpleasant. The Bible said, absent from the body and presence of the Lord. There's nothing about the dying itself. That there's nothing to be afraid of and nothing to worry about the dying itself. Or the death itself, it's the dying, the, the problems that go along with it. But there's hope for the future. There's hope because the Savior was born. Jesus was born and gave us hope. In verse 31 and 32 of Luke, or 33, And thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Man, I like that. There shall be no end. That's our hope, folks. <laughs> you know, everything good has an end, doesn't it, in this life? I mean, it comes to an end. You may enjoy good health, and but it ends. You have your family, you know, and then they grow up and get married and go their ways, and that ends, and on and on it goes. And it all comes to an end. But the Bible says of his kingdom, there shall be no end. And that's what I like. I love that thought, that there's hope for the future. As we think about those that have, will spend Christmas in heaven, those of our loved ones, and everybody here has been touched. It may not be, you may not have had to say goodbye to a real close relative like a mother or dad or a child, but everybody here has had to say goodbye to somebody that you love, maybe grandparents, maybe aunts or uncles somebody everybody's been touched haven't they? but aren't you glad there's hope <laughs> there's hope for the future brother uh the david is in in the opening today is talking about there in revelation 20 about those who had their head cut off i mean that'll kill you <laughs> they're dead they had they they were beheaded for the witness of jesus but the bible said they lived <laughs> aren't you glad there's hope there's hope for the future. I was talking to my sister this week, and, and she was talking about uh, uh, a man who had died there in the community, and uh, they, uh, they had him cremated. He died with cancer, and they had him cremated. And they were going to he had requested they scatter his ashes over Linville Gorge. By the way, cremation is a heathen practice. I don't think any Christian ought to, ought to uh, uh, participate in cremation. It has heathen roots. It's not Christian.
But anyway, the point is, if that man was saved, even though they, they follow that, if that man was saved and so they scatter his ashes and the wind blows them here and there, you think God can find all them? As far as that goes, God don't need them. <laughs> I mean, he made Adam to start with. Uh, uh, people say, well, I can't believe and they give all these, uh, you know, a situation like that. You mean God can get that together? Well, if God can put it together to start with, don't you think God can put it back together? How big a God we have. I don't care where a person, you know, a person may be buried at sea and, you know, uh, uh, this fish gets a bite and this one over here gets a bite and, and it goes here and there. But I want to say that God can put it all together and he will put it all together. And there's hope for the future. There is a resurrection. There's a better day. There's a glorious event, and it's all because Jesus came. If he had not come, if he had not come, there would be no hope. And it's hard now. It's hard to say goodbye. But what if there was no hope? What if that was the end? It'd really be hard, wouldn't it? That's what Christmas means to me. And then there's hope for those that are sick and dying. I guess I've seen more sickness in my lifetime than any of you. And I never get used to it, and I, I hate it. I despise it. I've seen situations. I've seen little babies sick, people sick of all ages, sick and dying. And I've often wished but I had the power just to go in and put my hand on them and the sickness would disappear. And no human being has that kind of power regardless of what they claim. Only God, God can heal and God sometimes does supernaturally heal. For the sick and the dying, you never get used to it. <laughs> I'm glad for a land where there'll be no sickness, no hospitals, no nursing homes, no frail bodies. Sometimes people, they outlive their mind, you know, their, their mind goes. But there's a country where this will be unknown. That's our hope. Hope for the children we bring into this world with a sinful nature. To thank God, the fact that Jesus comes means there's a way of salvation. They won't have to go to hell. They can be saved. They can hear the gospel and be saved. That's what Christmas means. I hope it means that to you. We have a Savior. God keeps his promises. And there's hope for the future. Let's bow our heads.